0: Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 141 and this episode is with the first team sports scientist at Wigan Athletic, Sam Holt. Sam came on to talk about his reflections from the season just gone, some of the challenges he faced as well. Um, He also spoke about his journey getting into football at such a young age and the effects that not only COVID had, but also all the changes that have gone on at the club what that uh, the effect that had on his role he spoke about advice for getting into football he spoke about strategies for high player turnover which he's definitely experienced this season he mentioned in the episode they pretty much have three if not more squads to work with over the season and then also um working with limitations For the best possible outcome as well. So flipping all of that into a positive and still making sure that he gets quality work done um, with everything they've done. And like we mentioned in the podcast, that resulted in survival in League One. So big congrats to Sam and all the staff at Wigan as well. Um, Hope you enjoyed this podcast. It was really good to chat with Sam. Sam actually did a webinar on our community not so long ago as well about the return to play play process from COVID as well. Um, So you can go and check that out on the community. Um, But I hope you enjoy the podcast. But as always, just before we get into the episode, if you've not left us a review, I'd really appreciate it. So head over to iTunes and just leave us a five-star review and a short note on the podcast you've taken the most from possibly the guests you enjoyed the most, uh, the topics that you enjoyed the most when we'd cover, and it'll just give us a good idea on who to target and what sort of things to speak about in future shows, and it helps the podcast out massively. So if you've not done it already, please head over and do it. Um, if you have done so, and I know plenty of the listeners have, big thank you for supporting the show. But we'll head into the episode now, episode 141 with Sam Holt. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by first team sports scientists at Wigan Athletic, Sam Holt. Sam, how are we doing? Very good by yourself. Very good, mate. Very good. Now, we've got absolutely loads to dive into. Um, Yeah. And uh, to be honest, I'm trying to think about the best place to start, but we will start with you and and your career so far, and then we'll get into this season and what's been going on. So, do you want to just take us through your career so far, what's led to the role at Wigan?
1: Yeah, so um, initially when I, when I first left college, when I first done my A-levels, it was like I've always been obsessed with football like, as a kid. I watched it, played it, talked about it, listened to it. Like, it was just my life. But it always seemed like a pipe dream, like go like, going working in football. Like I knew from being a teenager I wasn't going to be a footballer, but it was always a dream to like be in that environment and work around football. But like, it seems so far away, does it? it? seems like a dream. And um, when I left um, my sixth form, I got my A-levels. I actually got offered a job uh, as a quantity surveyor in like the construction trade, which I, and my dad's from the construction trade and other members of my family are oh, like, great career, brilliant career that I did. go for it. And it was like one day a week at uni, um and then rest of the week in the office and it was like a five-year program and everything else so I, it looked really good a good career so I did it and I was there for 12 months and sat at a desk in a in pants and a shirt and I was like this is not this is not what I want to do but it was it, it felt like such a jump right into the unknown because I you know how many even then I knew how many people did sports science degrees I knew how many people wanted to work in sport and I knew that it, it's not a there's not that many jobs out there for the amount of people leaving university every year. So I, I, I knew it was what I wanted to do. Right? I had to think of how was I going to make sure that if I walked away from a steady job or a steady career or a steady salary, or whatever, how was I going to make it worth, worthwhile? And was I wasn't going to make sure I look back and go, yeah, I did the right thing. So I, I applied for uni, I applied for uni, University of Central Lancashire, sports science degree. And I knew that throughout that three years, I had to just do everything. I just had to sacrifice all my time for three years to put myself in the best position that when I left and went to do my postgrad or whatever, I was in a good position to stand out above everyone else getting the same degree. So throughout the three years, I volunteered, I did internships. I, like, literally, people can get rid of me. Any, any opportunity I had, I took. And I just give all, my, give all my time to it. So I, I started right at the start. I was coaching like 18 or coaching 18 month olds. You'd be a bit of glorified babysitter, but you know, like little ball mastery and stuff like that. So I got first got into football on a Saturday morning doing 18 months of pre olds And then, like one by one, things just sort of spiraled. Um, I managed to get on as an intern doing some football coaching at um, a grammar school in Bury. And um, through that, I'd, uh, an opportunity come up um, to volunteer working at Man City. So I started doing coaching development centres and stuff like that there. So I've done my coaching badges as well. Um, And then as I progressed through my degree, I started to become more sort of technical and interested in the sports science and the strength and conditioning side of stuff. And I started to go and do workshops and courses and um, stuff like that. That's when windows started to open up a little bit more in terms of, um, first of all, I did personal training um, and then a colleague i worked with at the grammar school in Bury had got a, a job at another school down in Cheshire and they was looking for a strength and conditioning coach. So like, all those sort of experiences of, I was still volunteering at City and doing bits here at City. I'd managed to work up to being at the academy there, working with our select teams. Um, and then I started to get some paid work in my last year at uni at this school as a strength and conditioning coach. Um, so I was just trying to like, build my CV and my network the best, the best that I could. Um, and then when I graduated, I enrolled on the masters in football science and rehab at UCLAN under Mark Bever, who's the course leader there. Um, and sort of in the, the first day there, I went I went in early and just like well, knocked on his office door and just had a chat with him and just sort of introduced myself and just sort of said I'm not I'd love to work in football. I'm not actually got anywhere in football. we am doing a little bit of unpaid work here and this time there. I'm working in the school. Um, and he says, right, okay, well, leave it with me. I'll, I'll send us a copy of your CV and a couple of letters. I'll reach out to people in the game and see if we can get yourself any like shadowing or anything. So I was like, brilliant. So then within a week, I got a phone call from Dave Billows, who was the head fitness coach at Wigan. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he, he just said, do you want to come in for a chat? So I was like, yeah, do I? So he said, I'll come to Lexington tomorrow. So when he said X, and I thought, oh, that's that's the, that's the first, I knew that the first team training ground was there. Mm. So I thought, could be like, right. I could be helping out with the first team. Yeah. So I, um, I went up and met him the next day and, um, yeah, just went from there. I started, I started the day after, um, I went in unpaid at first and then they put me on like an intern, within a couple of weeks, they put me on like an internship contract, I think it was like hundred pounds a week or something like that. Um, and then luckily enough, as things transpired a few months later, I, um, they offered me a full-time role um, working for the first team. So that was, so I first went in the start of last season, I think it was September 2019. Um, And then by the start of the following year, I think it was April, just around the lockdown, just before the lockdown time, March time, they they actually offered me um, a contract, um, which was like brilliant because I to have achieved, like, a first-team contract working in football, I was like, that was, like, the start of, like, right, for me, the, the dream was to go and achieve something like that. So to have achieved it, I was, like, I was, I was I just felt lucky, to be honest with you. I think that was it. Like, I was just lucky, but um, to, have, to have been able to go and speak to someone like Mark Lever who'd done so much in football and then for him to have, sort of, put me out there and used his platform and then for someone like Dave to have took a chance on me then and got me in and, and then I just took that with both hands of like I, I, I quit my paid job even when I went in for free to begin with I just quit my paid job which I'm because so I was just like I need to give everything I've got to this whether it gets me a job here or whether it gets me a brilliant reference elsewhere just need to like give everything to it so I, yeah, I did that and I went in just full time. I I served. I went in part time while serving notice at the school, and then as soon as my notice was up, I just went in full time. I just got stuck in. Like, anything they wanted me to do, I did. it. And, and then anything else I did, I could do on top. I did. I just I was there all the time. They're probably sick of assignment. Um, and I just, yeah, I just got stuck in because I just knew that like it was a platform for me, and it I was wet behind the ears and wasn't the best technically. Like I'm not saying I went in and. I had all these brilliant ideas because I didn't, but I just listened and learned and uh, Andrew Proctor and Nick Meese were the, uh, the head physiologist and the head of medical and I just like followed them around like a puppy. Like, and Again, they must have been sick of sighting because I just followed them and just like watched everything they did. Even my like, they'd be doing strappings before training, I'd just stand and watch <laughs> and, and they'd be like, do you want to take a picture? <laughs> but I would like, just anything, any, like, any gym rehab session, I would just stand and watch them and, and then to the point where I, I, I've been, a, I've done my level four S&C and I, I was I was quite handy in, in the gym and they just sort of started to watch me and let me as well, some rehab somebody have they keep an eye on me. And then within no time, they sort of trusted me to, as long as I run things through them all my session plans through them or they led the session plan and give me some freedom, they sort of like, like, trusted me to, to be responsible with few, a few bits and bobs. So it was brilliant. And then... Um, in, in the lockdown, uh, Dave, Billows moved on um, and the, the, the club sort of said, we're going to get through to the end of the season what we've got um, and then look to get someone in at the end of the season. So are you all right to sort of work with uh, Nick and, and Proc and uh, assist them and and between the three of you take it when we come back to the end of the season? So I was like, yeah. <laughs> So um, we had the, the break, and then we worked with them to to put like the outline. It was like an off-season program essentially at the COVID break, and it was nuts because like, we didn't know how long it was going to be. We didn't know when it was going to come back. If at all, like, it was so up in the air. So you're like, we give them some rest to begin with, but you don't know how long rest to give them. You don't know. You didn't want to get them back going too soon. Like we're in March by now, so a good chunk of the season's already gone. So you used it as a bit of a window for recovery. But you're still mindful that we're gonna come back at some point. And then as it transpired, we come back out at the end of May. So we did like a program for the lads when they were home, and then we planned the return, the COVID return, and all the, I know the, the webinar reviewed all the restrictions, so some of the restrictions and everything else that we had with that and planning that, which was again just an ex- crazy experience. And through my first season in football, to have like dealt with that, like I think that'll stand me in good stead. And as an experience wise to so have dealt with something so out of the blue, it didn't matter if you've been in football 20 years or 20 weeks. Like that was like something that we hadn't come across before. So I was I felt again, I felt lucky like the timing and stuff. I felt really lucky just to be involved with that and be around. Like it was a dream for me to be around them football people like Nick Meese, Sandy Proctor, like the manager, the assistant manager, the first team coach, the club doctor, like just to be around them people and like. Like when we'd be in a group having conversations, I would just listen. Like I wouldn't talk, but I just like try and take in as much as I could and as much of like their experiences as I could. It was it, it was I like pinching yourself at times for a few months just to be around them kind of people. Um, yeah, and then we got. Uh, I wouldn't say we got to the end of the season. We quite we were, was on our way to the end of the season, and the administration happened. Um, and then the whole mess that's come with that over the last twelve months has meant that. Um, they never did get the opportunity to replace Dave Billows, and I just sort of <laughs> took the sports science on my own. Um, there's been a big turnover of staff. Nick and Andy have, have both moved on, um, and I was just saying to you offer uh, then it it is weird because it was such a horrible situation scenario, like the COVID and then the the administration of the club. But that is as horrible as it sounds. Actually opened. Some doors for me because it gave me a the part like there's no way at sort of this stage of my career I ever thought that I'd be taking and leading the sports science part of a football club anytime soon. Like 12 months ago, if you'd have asked me, I, I'd have laughed at you. But this, the circumstances meant that that's just what that's what we had to do, and um, I had to sort of just take it on and, and do the best I could of it. Really, which has been uh, eye opening. No doubt, I've made plenty of mistakes on the way, but I think that I've just learned so much in the last twelve months. And it was like sink or swim that yeah, just had just had to develop my ideas. I had to develop ways I wanted to do things. I had to lean on other people. I had to look at. I've listened to so many podcasts and webinars from like yourself, from the Pace Performance, from Statsport. Like literally, just grabbed as much as I could, and then tried to apply it. And like filter that down to what I could apply the best that I could, um, yeah. And it's been good. It's been enjoyable. At times it wasn't enjoyable with everything going on with the football club. But I would just say too, you, so as you sit back now and you look at the last twelve months and, you've, and and you start start to look back fondly in a weird way. So it helps when it when it ended well, you know, like when we stayed up and stuff. That 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 helps put a nice tint, like tints on it. But yeah. So that's sort of been my path. It's still early in my career. I'm uh, 24. Um, I'm still finishing my masters now. Finishing my masters in September. Dissertation time now, which is fun. Um, and yeah, so it's but it's, it's been action packed. Dealt with uh, pandemic and club administration. Of <laughs> course, late survival. So yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's been enough experience for five years, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, a lot of people but, listening will relate, obviously, to the co- everything to do with COVID in terms of the challenges. But yeah. the administration, and obviously not just administration, but the whole mess that comes with that, the whole uncertainty, yeah. instability, um, it's one hell of a season. And honestly, like I obviously follow the club very closely and seen the results, but the the achievement of staying up is it's not a league title, it's not a playoff win or anything like that. But for me, it's on par because the, the, to get safe this season, to get the, the club safe, obviously, in terms of the League One status, but not only that, to, to save the club and still have a club at the end yeah. of it is incredible. And I know we spoke to before we started recording just on some of the challenges and stuff that you've actually faced within the sort by yourself in terms <laughs> of sports science, in terms of managing large groups. And hopefully we can just touch it onto that a little bit more. Um, but what I would say just before we do that, I was just going to ask, like people, obviously you said very early in your career, only 24, super, super young, but gone through a, a hell of a season. But the thing that stands out for me is that you've put yourself in situations like going knocking on the door of someone at a university. Like th- these are little things that people don't do. You've put yourself in situations that have led to where you're at. It's not, it's not lucky for me. It's that you, you've put yourself in those situations. So what would you be, your advice, people that are coming through university, maybe even just stepping into a, a degree um, that want to work in football. There's plenty of them out there. What's the difference from you getting into it and then you ending up in—I'm not saying surveying is mm-hmm. not a good career because it is, but doing something <laughs> doing something that you don't want to do.
1: Yeah, just be relentless. Like if you decide if you make a conscious decision that that's what you wanted to do, like I did, because I knew I was walking away from a nice, steady career, decent salary, nice, comfortable life. Like I said, I had family members who were in that industry, and like, when I went out to come home and tell like my dad that. I was I'd ended my noticing and I was going to uni to do sports science. It was like right, uh, you know like it sounded like I was just bunking off to go and go to university. It wasn't wasn't that at all. Like, I knew like, not, i I lived at home. I worked throughout I, I was just so fixed on I'm not saying everyone has to be right, like that. Some people want to go and enjoy their lifestyle and everything else, but that just wasn't me. And I, I, I was going to get the degree and the opportunities to move forward and I was so relentless around that the whole time and I didn't always enjoy university. I wasn't always the most studious. I still, still not like, Mark will tell you, like he has to chase me sometimes for bits of work and stuff like that. And I'm having to apologize. And I, I'm not always the most learned or but I I knew where I wanted to get to. And I knew that by hook or by crook, I was, I I was going to put myself in positions to open up to that. And, and I just tried to keep that with me the whole time. I, I kept thinking about what I walked away from. And like in the first couple of years at uni when I was earning no money or like little. And I, that didn't phase me. I was just always thinking about where I'm going to be and where I'm going to go for And Not everything's about money, but I mean, like when I was struggling to like pay my phone bill or whatever, or mm. that I, I, that didn't phase me at the time. I was 18, 19. My parents were really supportive. They helped me along. Well, I, like, I couple live at home rent-free. I was lucky. Again, I was lucky, like, so many factors, not everyone has... I had so many factors going my way that, that allowed me to push that. But for me, it was just, like, what can I do to keep pushing me up a level? What can I do to keep opening doors? What can I... And I was constantly, like, looking for that. And um, I think you've got... I think, like, it's so... The, the industry is so, sort of, saturated and people coming out of university with the ideal... That they want to work in football. I think you have to do something different. You have to build your CV. You have to. I I knew that if I went knocking on Mark's door and asked him to put my cover and let my CV out there, I knew it needed to appeal to someone. Hmm. I, if he was going to putting a CV out there that was empty or that I hadn't really pushed, I put myself out of my comfort zone, I might not have got that phone call from Dave Billows. He might not have been willing to put it out. So, I might not have been so willing to put just throw that out for me. I knew that I had to have that backed up. I knew that I had to be doing the CPD, the courses. I knew that I had to be going and doing the experience. I knew that I could put two good grammar schools and, um, and Man City on my CV. Now, the fact that it wasn't a lead role at Man City, but the fact that I had worked my way in and worked my way up from volunteering, doing a development center in Buray, at the school that I was working at, it just come from a chance because I put myself in that position. And by the end, I was doing three, three, four nights a week up with the CFA. So I, I knew that I just had to keep being relentless and keep working. And then in that in that time scale, meet as many people as I could, try and make the best impression I could, try and make people when they work with me go, he's, he's all right. Like it'll he, he'll, he'll work out. He, he's got he'll, he'll bring good ideas. He'll, I, I just wanted I wanted people to, to when I work with them, to go, yeah, all right, he, sounds good. Yeah, I like him. So I wanted to put myself in as many positions like that I could and leave the best impression that I could because I knew that it's a big industry, but it's also a small one. And everyone sort of knows everyone. And even me and you were just talking then and, and we, there's mutual people that we know. And we've never met in person, but we both know people really well, the same person. So I knew that it's all about just creating them relationships and, and, and pushing yourself. So I think that's just what you've got to do. It, it, if anyone listening to this it, is at university now or is, is thinking about it or... It might have left university but doesn't know where to take them, just be relentless. Mm. Just like, I'd sent e- emails out to every football club within two hour drive multiple times and never got replies. But, I just kept doing it. And yeah. like, I'd send it to the same person, I'd send it to a different person at the football club. I just would we'll keep going and going and going. And in the end, that wasn't what got me through the door anywhere. But, it could have been. Mm. Like, and it just kept going. And I think that now, like when I'm, like, now, you know, I'm through the door somewhere. If people reach out to me, I'll always try and help them in some way now because I think that was me not even long ago. I'm not talking 10 years ago. It was me 12 months ago, 18 months ago. Mm. Like, des- just desperate. I I'd, I'd give up a full-time job to go and volunteer for free at Wigan to begin with. Just And in the end, I think they just felt sorry for me and give me under good week expenses to begin with. <laughs> because I said, so how are you going to and I said okay, initially I was going in a day a week and I'd just come in the next day and said I've had them a notice and I'll be in full time in three weeks and they were like hey, are you going to live are you going to survive and I was like oh, I will work it out like I, I knew I'd find a way I was still doing bits of self-employed PT and, and stuff like that on the side and evenings and weekends I, I knew I'd work it out I knew that to, I, mean, I had to grab that opportunity by both hands like I was lucky enough to be through the front door of a professional football club at first team level a championship club at the time That was I. Like, I'm not going to let this pass. I'm not going to, I'm not just going to like dabble in it a little bit and then when the end of the season comes, you go, oh, thanks very much. Well, there's no be anything in the future. I didn't want that. I didn't want to be like, I wanted to, to go, we could do this, guy. Like, we could do this guy. Like, he'd be a good asset to us. And thankfully, that's, how it sort of, that's how it worked out. But like I said, by the next, by, I think four or five months, they, they turned around and said, the, the chairman turned around and said, we want to offer your contract. And that was like, I remember just on the phone, just like over the moon, like buzzing. But again, I knew that it was just the, the start. Now it was like, right, let's make sure that they don't I think, why did we take that lad on? Just keep going, keep going, keep going. And I don't know who I'm going to be in football for. I might be in football for 10 years. I might be in football for 20 years. I might I might. I might not, but for as long as I am, I'm, I always try and keep that mentality of like, I'd give my arm to be here or I would have give my arm to be here I like, think I try and put myself in a mentality of like volunteering in the rain coaching six year olds on a Tuesday night in November that's what got me here or like teaching netball to to some school girls. just like the experience of being involved in, in a grammar school and the door so that opened up like all them things that I did that at the time I didn't really like I didn't want to be teaching hockey to Year, year nine group of kids like, no that just wasn't what I wanted to do but I knew that doing that and doing a good job of that that the, the director of sport at the school would, would, like, would rate them and would say you know he even get stuck into whatever we give him we can trust him to get stuck into it and do a good job so I, I, yeah I think you've just got to you've just got to push and push and push and, and try and, and try and live about like that as much as you can and um, yeah, I, 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 I always try and keep that mentality, even though, and, and like, even through all last season in the administration, when it, there was like days when you're thinking, oh my God, it, like, when is it ever going to start raining? You still think, well, you know what, if I went and picked someone like me up, who was in the position I was 18 months ago, and said, do you want to come and do this job? They'd go, yeah, too right, it'd be a dream come true for them, so... What, all of a sudden now why, why am I feeling sorry for myself here because of the situation the club's in it's still my dream job I'm still in a job in football which so many people would kill to be in enjoy it and make the most of it and do your best so I think that that's helped me a lot and that, that will keep continuing to drive me it's just that I think about all the people who, who would give anything to be in my position now, and I think about everything that I've done to make myself in this position and that just yeah that spurs me on a lot I
0: think you used the word, Sorry, relentless. Man. No, no, it's good. It's good. No, the, the advice for people is really important because I think it's it's good to hear your story and your journey. But um, as as just said, you use the word that's, that's relevant here is, is being relentless. And then also I've referenced this a few yeah. times on the podcast is back when I spoke to Chris Barnes, he talked about vanilla CVs and just not having a vanilla CV because there's too many people out there that will. And for me, if you do, it's on you, isn't it? Like you've got to go out and and get these opportunities. And it might be something that you're not going to want to end up in, like doing this work at the grammar school or with young kids or whatever, but that's developing your skill set. It's showing the eagerness for you to go and do stuff. And then you're right. As soon as you do get that little opportunity, whatever it is, you've got to take it with both hands. Um, We're going to talk about player turnover, um, high players, player turnover. Anyone that's, that's probably followed the club this year have seen that there's been loads of players involved. <laughs> we spoke before that you didn't know who was involved, who wasn't. But well, just before we go into player turnover, the thing I was going to talk about is the staff, because I know there's been a huge staff turnover as well. But from your yeah. point of view, because obviously as a, as a young sports scientist, you've got to have people to reach out to and get that bit of advice from, whether it's at the club or not. So what's the reflection for you when people have been there? You've mentioned the likes of, of Nick Meese and, and Andy Proctor, like that were at the club and now that, that that weren't known anymore. Like obviously these are big influences on you, but um, how did it affect you when there was people there and then suddenly they were they were out of a role and they were in another club? Yeah,
1: was tough because like you do realize like I said I still so early in my career, and and I said to you before, you you constantly like researching and webinars, podcasts, everything else. But like, actually applying that isn't always easy. And like in your club sets every club set is different, your coaches are different, your players are different. Naturally taking an idea that just because an idea worked well for someone else doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work well for you. And it sometimes can be a bit of trial and error or maybe like filtering it down to what to what works well at, at your in your situation. So like, it was brilliant like the first like six to twelve months was brilliant because I had them two who had been in football for years and had, had been in numerous clubs and it's so good at what they did and what they do. And uh, I could always run things by them. And I knew they'd be honest with me and go, oh, hmm, I wouldn't, I don't think that's a good so I don't, I don't think that's a good way to spend your time or your energy. Or they'd go, yeah, I'd give it a go. Oh, that was that was so like that was so good for me. And then when the administration everything happened and one by one, the staff around you and the senior staff started to leave you saw I had less exposure so I was lucky that I had real good relationships with them both and I can still pick up a phone and ring them now and, and ask them ideas they're still probably sick of me they've been sick of me since I walked through the door and they're still probably sick of me now <laughs> but I'm lucky that I, I, they, they, they were so good to me that they will probably still give me if I rang them now they'd still give me the time and give me their honest advice which is you need like, especially when you're so like, wet behind the ears you need that it was hard day today. we didn't always have that like right? when people had moved on and there was gaps between people being replaced through the administration and stuff like right? we've got weeks and months without someone being replaced and they've come a bit of um, a bit of a gap above you at times like there was times when I had no line manager for, for weeks months on end and it's and you had to sort of manage it, manage yourself in a way so it it, 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 it was tough but it wasn't it, it provided me with really good experience and a really good ability to cut through certain things and find out what was important to me and what, was, what I thought was a non-negotiable. Um, that was my process at the start of this season just gone when I knew that I was going to be, was going to be restricted staff-wise and all the other restrictions. I just made the conscious decision to go, right, what, for me, from a sports science point of view for the football club, what, what are the non-negotiables for me? What are the things that I think are vitally important that we have to do on a daily or a weekly basis? Let's not um, overcook it. Let's not overcomplicate things. Everyone's dealing with a million and one things. What the absolute? Sometimes less is more, and I thought that that was a time that less was more. Like let's just get the basics done really well, consistently, and just see where it takes us. And then that's that's just what I that's why that's what I just I applied all the way through the season to be honest with you. And it was like the manager was doing 14, 15 jobs at once. And I was to you, but he was the manager, the assistant, the first team coach, the player liaison, the staff liaison, he was dealing with administrators, he was doing everything. And the last thing he not sort of needed was me going knocking on his door, talking about maximum intensity XLs, D cells, or anything else. But uh, so how could I make things as as straight straight to the point for him? How could I help him the best I could without giving him more to deal with? So that's that's always every decision that I had to make then. That was just the, the thinking that I applied was is this going to benefit us and make our jobs easier? Because we're hard enough busy work we to be honest with everything else going on. So that's what I did. And I certain things that I, I, I found really useful, like uh, the multi-mechanical model, um, the chronic workload ratio. Um, and it was simple things like making sure we had top speed exposure once a week, which so many people have talked about, and so easy, that's so easy to do um but it safeguards you acute to chronic ratio was so easy to implement um and then the multi-mechanical model for me made it so easy to feedback to the manager uh of the coaches whoever come in uh, we had um obviously Gregor come in Peter Murphy come in Frankie Bunn come in to help him out and it was like how can I feedback to them in that session whether it achieved what we wanted to or not as easy as I could and as quick as I could and it was the most mechanical model worked really well for me for that because it was relative to each player. And then it was just a simple percentage. So here's here's your training session. Here's the drills. At the start of the week, I'd give them a plan to say, Monday, we might want this volume, percent of volume, this percent of intensity. And we might want to hit X amount, percentage of a high speed or sprint distance. And they might look at me and go, well, okay. So I go, these are the areas we want. And these are the times we want. So it might be that we want. Small sided games and tight areas for X amount of minutes, X amount of rest. And they can work with that. And I know that then we're achieving the things physically that I want. And it's easy for them to go, right, okay, well, that's easy enough for us to put a session together with the aims we want within them, constraints or ideas. And then at the end of the session, just go, there's your drills. And then I'd have your, your metrics. So for me, I literally just told this as high speed sprint and then a combination of accels and D cells. And then for myself, I'd look at the breakdown of them. So for the coaches, I'd just put them together. And then and I'll go, and there's your volume and there's your intensity. So, if we look at my plan for the week on Tuesday, this is the volume we wanted, this is the intensity we wanted. Yeah, we've hit that. And that was, I just rolled them for the rest of the season. I didn't didn't feel I needed to get any more in depth with the coaches than that. Because again, they were just dealing with a million and one things. Mm. So, actually, for me, less was more at that point. And there was only me as well. So, I'm trying to do pre-ab and gym sessions and whatever else. And conditioning sessions on the grass and topping lads up. So I was trying to make things easier for me as well, to be honest with you. If I I set the target that for chronic loads, each lad was going to have a chronic load of two games worth, two maximum games worth in a week. That was my target. Throughout the season, I wanted everyone, there are thereabouts, at least two games worth of chronic load. So that was easy enough for me to manage then. I would I was very lucky that um I'd started playing with Power BI a bit. Um, which was causing me headaches, um, but once it's just out, it was brilliant. But then uh, a member of staff, his brother, had actually set up um, a company, and I'd put, I'd, I'd touched him to you, and said, "Powerful BI, it's unbelievable." I just said, "This is what I want," and he was like, oh, "No problem." And the next day, I had a dashboard with my acute, chronic, um, twenty-one and seven days. Um, top speed exposures uh, everything like that we just have we have through daily load reports in terms of percentages for each player it, it, and it and a session um, drill feedback sheet and it just becomes so easy for me And I just put the pods in download refresh and then my report would be there that saved me straight away an hour an hour and a half a day maybe of walking through data and everything else uh, and again it was just look it was that a staff member his brother was a whiz with power bi. I was trying to get in sport. But he at the time, he just started working with Preston um, with Tom and Luke there. So he was like, yeah, no problem, I can do that for you, no issues. So we did it. And it, again, that just saved me so much time. So it, I was just constantly trying to free up as much time as I had for the players to spend time with the players or the coaches or whoever and less time just in my office looking at a computer. Um, so yeah, I know that's, that maybe there will be better ways of running a sports science department but for me that was my non-negotiable Out on the grass this is what we want this is what we want each week and then from then it just sort of it managed itself and I would, the, the software would just program it for me and then every morning or at the end of every day i could just look back through see who was concerned set the thresholds for the next day and then luckily with stats for uh, live we can set the thresholds on the ipad so i'd be up there with the live and i knew at the end of each training session who needed more who didn't, and knowing the session, who who who'd done, who did what we wanted them to, and then a little nudge to the manager, and he'd make them a photo or something like that, and yeah. it just becomes so easy just to manage them because we 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 had three squads this season at times. So we we've had three full change changeovers from pre-season. We lost a full squad. We had a mixture of twenty frees and a few frees that we got in at the start of the season, and then we had another full squad in January when we signed nine ten players the rest of the season, so your screening and your testing and everything else become difficult, and like you, fatigue monitoring and stuff like that become difficult. And by the end of the season, once we had a steady team, we I brought we brought in fatigue monitoring. I had um, Jack Winard had been had come in as the academy sports scientist, and poor Jack, I, I used to borrow him all the time and, and and pull him over because he was he's so good with like the four-step stuff and everything like that. And I knew that in the morning in in the gym while we were sent pre-hab or jack could do some fatigue monitoring testing and look after him with pre-hab i could go out and set up outside or i'd be outside about the end stage rehab lads doing some conditioning drills on the, on the on the grass before training and that just freed me up so much then and and then i could actually go up and plan proper structured warm-ups and not just four four lanes with a, a bit of like a pulse razor and activation and stuff because i had all of a sudden i had 45 minutes in the morning where i wasn't in the gym with lads like doing pre prehab and stuff like that. So it did become easier. And lads who were, who were working in what well, were down the pyramid and not only will be shaking their head up and what i have done it on my own for X amount of years, but <laughs> it's so new to me. Like I'd first come in and like you said, we had a department. We had Nick Meese, Andy Proctor, Dave Bills was the head fitness coach. Um, and we had like a structured department. And then all of a sudden that was gone. And then people were gone. And I'm like trying to bring some sort of structure. And some sort of day-to-day, this is how we're going to work. And it, it, it wasn't always easy, and it wasn't easy during the season. But I think I'm so glad I had to go through it, and I'm so glad that it happened early in my career as well, because I think my, the last 12 months, that experience will be like brilliant brilliant for me, and having to deal with things and keep plates spinning. I, that was the main thing I always have, trying to keep plates spinning. I have three or four different plates, and just trying to keep them going. And you'd be running around in the morning trying to do this, that, and the other. And, thinking, oh, and, they go, and you're constantly constant doing that. But like I said, it was, no matter how like, challenging it was, and it was always challenging, but in a good way. It was my dream job. And, like, I, you might, I, I was going to say I wouldn't change anything, but probably would. <laughs> I probably would. But I mean, like, the fact of the matter is I was doing the job that I four or five years ago. I'd, I'd quit a career at 18. This is what I wanted to do, and I was doing it. So, again, that mindset of that relentlessness and that grab hold of this opportunity, that was what constantly made me enjoy
0: it in a way. Just a very quick update on our online community. I mentioned in the previous episode that we had uploaded a super webinar, nutrition webinar, from nutritionist Matt Jones, the guru of nutrition. Um, Anyone that's followed Matt or possibly heard him on the couple of episodes he's been on the podcast, he's an absolute wizard in terms of nutrition. Um, So he goes into football nutrition and he goes into how he periodizes nutrition as well. So that is now available to watch on the community. And I know a few of the members have already watched it and taken plenty from it. But as this podcast goes out, we have uploaded a brand new webinar, This webinar is from First Team Sports Scientist at Leicester City, Tom Joel. He has presented on using different levels of feedback to help inform practice. So something we spoke about a lot on the podcast is how we present the work, the findings, the data that we work with as sports scientists over to coaches, the time that we do it and the way we go about it. Tom goes into great detail on his approach and some of the ways that he's found um, most successful at Leicester. And obviously look at the performances of that first team over the last few seasons. Absolutely incredible. So you can go and check these both of these webinars out as well as all the other content we've got available. I think there's over 40 hours now worth of content, webinars and presentations over on the community. Just go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab at the top. If you sign up there, It will give you one month free to check it out. You can see what it's all about and check out some of these webinars and presentations. After that free month, it is only £4.99 per month going forward and you'll get access to all the current information on there as well as all future um, webinars and presentations that'll be coming on very soon. There's also all the member benefits and the partner discounts available and we're very close, probably in the next episode, to announcing a really big partner um, that the members can benefit from as well but I will save that for the next episode so go and check it out if you're not already a member footballfitfed.com click the community tab and sign up there here's part two of the podcast with Sam Holt just on that though as well I know, you, I know you're know you saying about non-league and coaches and coaches being sort of jealous of what's available but the fact of the matter is Wigan were a well not not far off being a Premier League club to a Championship club and then that obviously down to a League One club so as much as many non-league clubs won't have the full sports science department in place, they did. So yeah. it was, it was expected, it was wasn't it? It yeah. was expected it was from staff, but it was also expected from players. So it wasn't as if you could go in there and run it like you would in a part-time environment. It had to be a full-time program. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I thought that was just important to bring up, but then the other thing as well, I think it'd be good now to touch on lessons, but also, how you look going forward because hopefully next year there's not going to be the uh, well fingers crossed <laughs> covid restrictions will be minimal hopefully um yeah. hopefully administration is is now in the past so looking forward and I know there is no ideal world world I wrote down ideal world I'm on my paper <laughs> and I thought every coach is going to hate that because like there is no ideal world but looking forward what do you think are some things that you can do to progress the program what do you think uh, are some of the lessons you're going to carry forward as well? I think for me, I, the difficult thing
1: was that because of the circumstances, because of the, cold, the COVID thing was massive as well, I didn't really touch on that then, but uh, we couldn't use the gym for months of the season at the training because it wasn't big enough. So we were, again, we were lucky that we had another facility, which was a five minutes around right the corner, which was a big indoor. Um, we have a big indoor four G and, and a massive space in there um so right at the start of the season I took all the spin bikes when when we saw the old training ground we took the spin bikes there so kit hurdles the mats everything like that and I could actually run I could get them all in the gym well it was a a makeshift gym but I could get them all in there before training Now the drawbacks that was it was five minutes away from the actual training ground but it was for me in my head it was better than, than nothing it was better than turning up in the cars in the kit putting the boots on and walking up onto the pitches and starting training so if we could have half an hour there with me, that was 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 a good thing for me. You now the, the issue with that, the drawback was that I would literally just have a whiteboard and I would just put general squad pre-ab session up. Now, in it in an ideal world, you would have labs all an in individual programs, whether that be from you pre and your activation in the morning into your SNC um, in the afternoon. But we just what we didn't have the resources, we didn't have the kit we didn't have the space we didn't have the staff so we made and we just made do from in my head again it was oh, that's better than than not doing it that's better than not bothering let's just do what we can to get the best possible outcome um and then it was same with like, the strength programs like we've done stuff outside i done doing nordics in the mud and stuff like that but it, again it was like well it's done it's that nothing Let's. Let's just roll our sleeves up and get on with it. Or we'd go back to the stadium way, and I'd take a trap bar down there and stuff like that, and some cleaning products, and and we just do what we could. Um, but going forward, having the staff and the infrastructure there to have players on their own individual programs and everything else is obviously what 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 you aim for and what you'd require. Um, we had a couple of, we deemed high risk, I think we could have three, three or four lads in the gym at the training ground at once because it was on a small, so for social distancing. So we'd have a couple of lads who were high risk would stay in the gym in the morning with a physio and do the individual stuff. But for like the masses, it was just, like right, lads, this is what you're on with, go for it. And I just walk around and oversee it and chat to the lads and I took a speaker, put some music on, two crates of water and some electrolytes and we just made doing, do you know what, like, there were still lads there in that group who was in the championship team from the year season before. I was used to the old training ground and the old watchers that they had. And they just got them. Like at first it was a bit of a, but it, it, we just, we was, he's still so lucky, like a lot of these lads have come from lower leagues or from non-league or whatever. And you're still in a fortunate position to have a big indoor facility like that that you can use. Like, I know there's clubs during COVID who will not have had that. And I don't know what how they'd have come, I'm sure they'd have come up with something, but we, we was lucky, and you got through and it was okay. Now going forward about the restrictions, you don't just want to get through, do you? You want to have everything done properly and that's obviously what we aim for now and hopefully we're in a position where we can do that. You know, We had two walk-backs at the Football Club that were both broke. Screens didn't work on one and the seat is all the way down on the other so the lads would be on a walk-back in the morning with the knees giving himself black eyes and it was, like, it was funny though, like... He, he, if you didn't laugh, you'd cry because you couldn't do like a structured what bike session with a rehab lad because the screen just didn't work. So you'd have to just do it on times and like, you just start like, to think from you feel like it's not. Like, again, a lot of clubs want to have what bikes Like, we were just lucky that we always had, we'd always had 2 what walk-bikes, two, well, all the things we'd had, we never didn't. And you just all of a sudden had to, you start six or seven lads there from last year, we used to it. And a few staff, we were used to it. And you all of a sudden, you start to groan yourself and go, right, well, this is how it is now. Like, just get on with it. So yeah, it was interesting, but I think moving forward as a as a League One club now and with the new ownership and stuff, you'd like to think that we will get back to what we were in the Championship in terms of your prescription of of programs and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know if I answered your question there. If I've just waffled again?
0: No, again, <laughs> again, you have definitely. I think a good thing to just cover finally before we go into some of the quick fire on the end is um, what do you think for you personally? is the biggest skill that you've developed this year that you'll take forward? Is there one thing that sort of stands out for you that you're like, yeah, that has definitely been something I've developed this year? It's not a,
1: a, a skill as such, but my soft skills. Mm. More so than my technical ability, which has developed as well, Like from working from day and day out. But like I said, you can have all the best ideas in the world, but if you can't, apply them or nowhere to apply them or how to work with the player at coach to apply them, I don't think you're going to get anywhere. And for me, it was, that was a big eye-opener. Like, I'd just come in as like an intern and then managed to get in. And this season, I had to have difficult conversations with players at times and manage players and wrestle them at the dressing room when they sat on the phone to come in and do some stuff in the gym and get buy-in from them. And like, I think that's what's developed most for me as a practitioner is getting buy-in from the lads. And like the think we got there. Again, though we had three groups of players, so we had to get there three times. Three different groups. <laughs> You're so you, practising. You, yeah, you, at the start of the season, we managed to get all the lads in, doing everything in the gym and buying into everything. And then they all left. Mm. And to be fair, that middle group, which were all 23s and 18s, were brilliant. Because they were young lads. They'd done it, kinda, and they were so easy to manage. And then you had the influx of pros again in January. We started again with, and we, to, and we got in again And again, they were brilliant. Like, we, we had some really good pros come in who I superb and that on the whole they, they were easy to manage Like right? it, it was easy for me I mean I'm not I'm not daft I know that it could have been easy for some of the lads to just pipe me off in a sense because I was younger i have not been around long or whatever else but they didn't and whether that was me managing them well which I might tell myself <laughs> or whether that was them just being good pros and knowing that they had to muck in and do what do what was expected more likely probably Mm. but yeah I think um, that's definitely and again working with the coaches and the manager like I said the manager was doing so many jobs at once and running the club single-handedly for one period of the time the last thing he needed was me saying such and such is on restricted training today it was like how can I work with him to get what he wants at the session because he's got 18 lads up there or some days we had 11 lads training some days we had 24 like there was no consistency in terms of the circumstance because lads were coming and going all the time and he just had to think. I like, just had to deal with that and then the last thing he needs is me oh, yeah he he can only do this or he can only do that it's how could I then meet him in the middle and go well like I said he's probably for the week he's he's cooked he's set he can be aflo- like, and Gaffer will go out, or will he be a floater then and it was like, we just meet in the middle and it looked like, again, it was lucky that the man in charge was, was in and not somebody else who might make things difficult for everyone. Um, so, but yeah, I think definitely, I think that's, you don't learn that in university, you don't learn that in your courses as much um, the actual dealing with people. If you can't deal with, with people and different people, everyone's different. Some people might need to go and wrestle at the gym.
0: yeah, Take the phone off
1: yeah. go in and set the ping pong table off the uh, the ping pong ball off the table and put it in your pocket until they've been in the gym but some of them will just react badly to that and it's sort of knowing who's p- picking your battles I suppose And I think I've, I've grown better with that when I've first gone in and you have all these ideas and you think everyone should do what you say you soon get found out and told where to go um, and I think it's some. I, I think we all as sports scientists or SSC or whatever we all think we have these brilliant ideas and this brilliant education, everything dead sophisticated and fancy, but sometimes just, just put it to what I like, just do the basics and and just to appeal to people and get them to buy into what you're trying to do. And if that's something dead simple and dead basic, it's better than nothing. Like For me, if putting a dead easy, dead simple pre-ad workout on the board in the morning at, at the indoor 4G, got 22 ads are doing it, that was better for me than trying to overcomplicate things and make life for myself and for other people difficult because we just didn't have the time, we didn't have the people, we didn't have the, the structure. So yeah, that's been the, the biggest learning. I think in the first six, 12 months I, I grew on loads technically. And then in the last 12 months, it was all soft skills. So it was all, like, how do I how do I apply that and get people to buy into that? And like I said, I to think that I got a lot better at that. I had to think that people did start to go I right, to listen or to, to do what I was asking them to. But you never
0: know. No one has a plan until (laughs) you get punched in the face. Exactly. And I've been punched in the face a bit this
1: season, trust
0: me. Quality, mate. That was a really, really good insight into into this year. But we'll just go into some of the questions that we finished the podcast with now. So first one being, some of the biggest influences on your short career so far? (laughs) Well... I wouldn't be in it if it wasn't
1: for Matt Leather, who teaches on my masters. Um, and like the content of the course and the guest speakers he's adding, like to see Chris Barnes and people like that come in and, and spoke. That's been brilliant for me. Um, Nick Sandy Proctor, I could talk about them all day. Um, yeah. Uh, the club doctor, Jonathan Tobin. Um, and then the manager as well, um, Liam Richardson. I like I said, he's been he's kept the club going. It's been unbelievable. Um there's probably other people in there that I've missed or be annoyed at me but off the top of my head the the, the big five that have sort of shaped where I am I mean like Simon Williams as well who I worked with at City who was the director of sport of Bury Grammar I went working with him there he got me on at City doing bits and bobs. he then moved to this other school took me there with him so in the early stages of my career if it wasn't for him I never would have probably got in the door at Wigan either so yeah I'd the same as well. Uh, even though he, he doesn't work in football now, he's just with schools. It's still like without him, I wouldn't be anywhere near like making the roads that I'm trying to make now. So yeah, I think th- it's hard, isn't it? Because there's so many people that you lean on and and have helped you out. And I'm like racking my brain, I think I'm deaf off against someone, and someone's going to be annoyed at me. But yeah, Um yeah, they've been massive for me, people.
0: Brilliant. And the next one, what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? I don't know. That's
1: an album, one, isn't it? I think That's I like players, to think, <laughs> I think I've developed the ability to like be proactive, but then also be able to be reactive. Well, I'd like be proactive in what I want to do and what I want to achieve for like the day, the week, the season, whatever, the cycle. But when stuff crops up and a blunt that it does, that throws all that out the window, then being able to think on your feet quickly and think, right, well, what's the next best thing I can do here? What's what's the next? You know what I mean? Because every, everyone who, who works in this job will know that so much will crop up in a day that scuppers your plans. Right? That's why there is no ideal world, is like, see you want to do this and that, and then something will just happen, and you go, right? And I think being able to deal with that has been, has been massive. Um, for me, like, in, in this season, in these circumstances as well, I mean, like, some of the stuff that's cropped up in the last 12 months at, that, at this football club has been, like, incredible. Like, people never know, like, some of the things that some people at the club have had to deal with. Like, I've been lucky, I've been sheltered really, but it does work its way down. But, like, it's crazy, and I think that ability to think on your feet and find the next best outcome. think i've developed quite well really i'd like to think so anyway again people might listen to this who think he's miles off it
0: but (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure that's not the case (laughs) um next one being around cpd so obviously it's interesting because a crazy crazy season super super busy obviously just you in the sports science department like how have you focused around cpd not necessarily courses but um Podcasts, webinars, articles, like yeah. wherever you sort of focus your time.
1: Podcasts and webinars are brilliant. I mean, I have an hour driving to work every day and an hour drive home. So I'll try and do one and a half or two podcasts a day, one in and one out. that um, like they're so good because you again you you get to the nitty-gritty of what other people, more experienced people than me, and people who've been there and done it, what their sort of philosophy and ideas are. So although I'll I spend a lot of time on the research and and everything else. For me, I need to learn from people who've been there and done it, how to apply that and what they think are the important things. So I podcast from yourself and from Rob Percy, are like for me brilliant because I have such a variety of people in there from all different backgrounds. And if I can try and take even a tiny bit from each of them and apply it to my own philosophy, my own way of working, I think that's so important for me. Um, so yeah they're big and then the webinars as well like webinars are brilliant they're a bit more time consuming in that you can't you have to sit down and spend an hour you can't just pick it up in the car or for a run or whatever but actually it's visualizing seeing like the webinar where people put illustrations of of what they do i mean when we had these 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 and the the good thing with the covid thing was there was like webinars all the time yeah like everyone was organizing webinars and like you'd have three or four brilliant guest speakers on there outlining their philosophy, of it what they do how they apply it and you just sat with a notepad just just like a sponge just taking in as much as you can that, again that's so valuable i mean like courses and accreditation and everything are brilliant but i love seeing how people apply it on that's the main thing for me you can have all the idea ideas in the world but if, if you don't know how to apply them and get
0: buying off people
1: i think you're you're struggling aren't you
0: is there any specifics that jump out? And I'm not I'm not after a, a shout out here, but you know, in terms of guests or anything, it might be ours, it might be Rob's, it might be webinars that you've listened to. Just to give people a bit of an insight into maybe where you've taken the most from, is there anyone that you sort of think of straight away in terms of a guest or a topic that you were like, yeah, that was really, a, really good yeah. for me?
1: For me, I remember when I first started my master's before I'd gone in at Wigan, the first speaker that come in was Chris Barnes. And that, for me, set the whole foundation of everything that I do really going forward in terms of are we meeting the demands of a match training? Is it relative to the player? Are we meeting maximal intensity periods? Uh, you know, Then sort of things are what I've built everything else on. I, in my head, I've i I'm always straight away then, everything's relative to the player. Are we matching the maximal intensity periods? Are we matching the volume of the game? Are, and all of that sort of... And I liked his journey from how he was... From university, and he built a lab, and then yeah. quickly realised. That's what i saying about applying things. Quickly realised that a lab wasn't what they needed. They needed something functional, and um, that that was like the big one for me. And I, and I, he's got quite a few um, webinars on that out there with different people that are all worth listening to for me, even if some of them overlap and are similar. I think for him, he was one of the first sports scientists, really. Yeah. And here is, and the fact that he's still in the game now. And so, here is sort of evolution from his thinking back then to now, I think is is really insightful. And I think anyone, like, uh, even if you're just getting started, that for me was was like what really opened my eyes to sport science in like 15 football. Because before that, like, I was so wet behind the ears and new to it. I'm so glad I listened to him speak personally and then watched his webinars before I went in at Wigan. Yeah, and then last. could apply that stuff. So yeah, I, I think he's yeah he's, he's really good.
0: And then what do you think about one of the most important traits for a coach to have to be effective with players? So I know you mentioned about soft skills before. Is there anything that sort of yeah. stands out where you're like coaches have to have this in their back pocket to get that buy in and be effective with players? Yeah, it's just being able to like read or know
1: when to push, when to ease off, when to... Because you can soon alienate a player. There's certain players I've worked with who frustrate their life earlier because you know that they could do more. Yeah. And, and you can look at the stats, you can look at the heart and efforts, you know they could push themselves a bit more. But I know that with that player and that mentality and the, it's the way he's been brought up through football and everything else, I know that if I just turn on him, it just goes under and you get less. So it's like, how do you then appeal to that player then? to make it, also they're doing it for themselves, not doing it for me. And that's what I'm trying to say, like, it's your, it's your career. And it's like, I'm just trying to help you. I right? don't do it for me. But I, I'm telling you now that if we did this, or if we do this, or if you apply, stuff, da, 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 this is where, this is the difference we'll make to your game. So you can talk about, like, strength power ratios, or whatever you want to talk about, or maximal aerobic speeds, or top speeds, or whatever, whatever you want to talk about. Whatever it is, you know that if it's ultimately benefiting them and their game and ultimately their career, then that's what we're doing it for. And I think if you can get that through to them, again, whatever it is, and if it's a lad coming back from injury, who's coasting, or that you're having to battle with all the time, who's at end stage now, or if it's a lad in the squad and every time you do testing is at the back. We've had a lad who, um, when we do testing on the grass, we Will do like an MAS, and he's, he's at the back from the start, and it's that isn't a fitness issue to me. That's a mindset issue, and it's how do you break through that? then Because like we know that if he did, if 800 meters in he started to blow up, that but in that first 800 meters he's near the front. We know that it's a fitness issue, but when he's a relatively fit lad and he's in his right behind right at the start, that's me thinking. Well, there's, there's something else a player that we need need to work with, and I think. It's important to see them differences, isn't it? And not just treat, well, he's unfit, running more.
0: Yeah.
1: Let's just try and build a bridge here and and see if we can get through to him another way. I think that's, yeah, I've learned that because that would have been my approach maybe at the start is how bad he's doing. He's not fit enough when really, well, let's just hold on a minute. And we've had lads come in who, you start to see certain things where like at the same lad who who would never never notice him take caffeine ever. And in a week, he'd come to my office asking for um, a caffeine shot twice. And it's like, things like that, that you go, well, let's just have a conversation. Like, is everything what's the, I could home? And all of a sudden, they open up and tell you that they're in this issue or that issue at home and they're not sleeping and this, that, and the other. And I think, like, rather than just go, yeah, yeah, no worries. Or I think sometimes it's knowing when to delve a little deeper or when to just take it at face value. Yeah. I think that, that helps a lot. And again, the, these are these soft skills that I'm learning, like, still getting wronged. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. if you've been in football 5-10 years, you still get the, still get something wrong and deal with things, and afterwards go, oh, I probably shouldn't have dealt dealt with it that way. But I think getting better at that is is massive because ultimately, if they you don't you don't need to be mates with them, I don't, right. but if if you have the respect, their respect, and they know that what you do is for them and that you've got their best interests at heart, then I think you get you you will get a better of buy off them. I think yeah, definitely. I think so.
0: No, Connor Washington spoke about this on the podcast as well the different approaches so I think anyone that's not listening to that go and listen because obviously he's in the game very interesting in sports science like he gives one side but then not all players are like that and the quicker you understand that the better really and that's what you have touched on there Um, and then final one mate in terms of players are there any common traits? Obviously, you've had uh, you've had a couple of seasons, but probably about five years worth of squads. <laughs> so, about 100 um, <laughs> yeah, in terms of all the players that you've worked with, some of the higher performers throughout um, those squads, which there have been some brilliant talents. Are there some yeah. commonalities that you see with those players in yeah. terms of the traits? That word, that word, relentless again. Isn't it? it's mm. in a different context, but relentless. Mm. Like, the best I've ever worked
1: with. He was so obsessed by like, with everything. Like you'd, you'd have him a game on the tech board or two touch and he'd be so competitive he'd fall out like, and he'd blow that up with anyone. Like he was so obsessive with like in the gym in the morning, he'd be the first one in. He'd be doing it all his prep, everything. And he he was just so his mindset was so fixed. And then we've had a, a couple like that since who have really made like a lasting impression. I mean, they're all the same. And like you, you, you just know the type straight away, like the first one in the gym, like if anyone's um not come in yet or they're on the phone, he will tell them before I have to. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like and and then they know not to make that mistake again. And that's that's just that's a player. And I think they're the the high performing players that I've come across and they all seem to have that just that fixed. And don't get me wrong, you get lads who are so talented, they're so naturally fit and the, you, they're like they want to jolly up and they do well anyway.
0: Yeah.
1: You're always going to get them, but the lads I've worked with who were like you, you say, you talk about, it, you're like, he's so relentless and obsessed and fixated on it. They always go on and and have good careers and play well, and and there's such a point like it's so good to work with them because I can rely on them as well. I can, sometimes I won't need to go in the dressing room and wrestle lads. I'll just say to him, "Who's missing?" They'll go, they'll go out and, and bring them in within thirty seconds. <laughs> you know what I mean? It yeah. makes my job so much easier because you're saving problems for your, uh, that I don't have to deal with them, And when you've got lads who are respected about that, because they always tend to be the highly respected in the dressing room as well. So, yeah, I think so. It's, it's, I think it's any walk of life, feel that word relentless. If you're relentless and you're so focused on anything you do, I think you'll always do well. And I think if you're passionate about something and you enjoy it, you'll always do well. And if you do well, you're always going to keep doing well. And as long as you keep that mentality of being fixated and relentless and open minded on how you're going to be better. It doesn't matter what line of work you're in, does it? I think that's that what that's what drives anyone forward and drives anyone on. I think that yeah that's
0: I think that's how you've got to live. Definitely mate. Well this has been superb Sam like the sort of the, the detail you've gone into through a real challenging season has been superb. But congratulations again on obviously securing the League One status because it's been oh, it's been a Really good season to follow, but I know there's been loads of challenges along the way and I look forward yeah. to, to following next year as well. Um yeah, sure. just before we wrap up, mate, do you want to just give your Twitter handle or wherever you want to direct people in terms of yeah. getting in contact if they've got questions or anything? Yeah, one sec, I'll check myself because I don't I don't know it.
1: Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, Sam Holty One on Twitter. Perfect. And I'm on LinkedIn and everything else as well. Um so anyone honestly like for the for me, everything's just me learning. So even if someone wants to reach out and go, why did you do it like that? Would this not be better? I, I'm sure there's people listening to this who are much longer in the tooth than me who are thinking you'd be better off or whatever. Like one thing I'm not is touchy. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning as I go. So any input is, and it's been brilliant to be on. Like my imposter syndrome scared me off a little bit the last couple of times you've asked. I'll
0: this <laughs> uh, time and put myself out there. Why not? Eh? 100% mate it's been absolutely quality so and you're welcome on any time we'll have to uh, definitely have another catch up at some point yeah that would be good um, but yeah best of luck for next season mate going into wow. season and, and the new season and we'll uh, stay in touch cheers Ben thank you very much thank you to Sam for giving up his time and coming on the podcast it was great to chat with him and reflect on the season um, I took plenty away from this episode and I hope you did too Just the first thing that stands out for me and it's something that I've um, heard someone speak about a lot on other podcasts I've listened to uh, and that's Tim Grover and anyone that's watched The Last Dance will probably be aware of Tim Grover, Michael Jordan's strength coach, um, also worked with Kobe Bryant and a few other players as well and his book is actually called Relentless and it's something Sam spoke about time and time again in the podcast was being relentless and that sort of summed it up for me which is why I titled the podcast relentless because it's definitely the sort of approach he's taken in his short career so far and that's what's led to him being in the role he's in i know he spoke about being in the first team sports science role at such a young age he didn't sort of expect but all of his actions have led to that yes there's been issues at the club yes there's been COVID and all the rest of it but he's put himself in the right positions and he's took um the, the small opportunities he's had, he's grabbed them with both hands and made the most out of them. So um, anyone that's wants to read up around being relentless, um, go and check out Tim Grover's book. And I've also listened to some great podcasts with him recently as well. He's sort of doing the rounds on the podcast recently. So go and check it out. Um, he is someone great to listen to, but I thought that tied in quite nicely. He spoke about early on in the podcast as well, sacrificing time for his career. Um which I know is something that a lot of people do. They go through that stage of choosing not to go out, not to socialise and just focusing on working their way up um, in their career and creating these opportunities. He spoke about hard work, which I think some, be- some people get talked away from in the modern world. It's something that we all have to do. We all have to graft at times um, to-, to earn these opportunities. He spoke about less is more. So being a one-man band essentially in charge of a big squad and an ever-changing squad like he spoke about in the podcast. Um, looking at his, again, we spoke about it a lot, non-negotiables, his go-tos, and they're the things that he prioritised and focus on. Um, future plans as well, so he's not settling for where he's at. Obviously, they spoke about trying to grow the staff and trying to hire someone else and get an extra pair of hands, which um, from the workload that Sam's been under... I hope that is the case and I hope he does get people to chip in and help him out because I know it, the program can grow and get even better. But he spoke about future plans in terms of individualizing some of the work that they do with the players. He spoke about dealing with people as well, which is a huge, huge part of, of what we do in any sort of coaching or practitioner role, dealing with dip people, but also different types of people in different roles and learning how to speak to different people. Um and then he also said about being proactive and reactive. So I think those are two key words, especially this past year. Um, but also for any sort of coach or practitioner, they're two skills that you have to develop. And we, I think we used the quote of the, the old Tyson quote in the podcast, is everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And that's exactly... What I think a lot of people coming out of university, they have the sort of way of thinking, the way of working. They want to take it into an elite sport environment and things happen that you probably don't even even think about that could happen within elite sport. Um, And that's when you have to be proactive and reactive and make sure that you're still making the best out of a a not-so-great situation. So loads of takeaways for me in this one from Sam. It was great to chat with him. Go and check him out on Twitter. He's at Sam Holty, and then the number one on the end. So go and give him a follow and feedback to him as well. Let him know what you took away from it. I'm sure he'd love to have a conversation about some of the work he's been doing. Um, He's very open. He's he's so easy to chat to as well. Um, And I really appreciate him giving up his time and coming on. And as always, big thank you to everybody that listens to the podcast or if you do watch it over on YouTube as well. I really appreciate everyone's support. The audience is growing all the time and that is down to you guys just supporting it and tuning in, listening and giving feedback and sharing it as well. So a big thank you to everyone that's done that and please continue to do it. Um, got some great guests line up over the next few weeks and I can't wait to bring those shows to you. So a big thank you again. And I'll chat to you again in episode 142 next week.